You are listening to The Justin Show Podcast Season 1, Episode 17. My name is Justin, and I'm joined, as always, with my legendary co-host, also named Justin. In tonight's episode, we will review the disappointing Las Vegas Bowl loss and our thoughts on the debut of Coach Crystal Ball. And of course, for all those basketball lovers, we also sprinkle in a little basketball talk. Enjoy. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Justin Show. How's everybody doing tonight? We're just two guys talking football. But before we get into anything, I want to welcome my co-host, Justin. How's it going? Oh, it's going pretty good. Uh, how has your week been? You know, it's been better. But I, like some people, when they uh, return from Vegas, have some regret and some sadness. I also have some regret and some sadness about this Las Vegas Bowl. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, it wasn't a great ball. So let's dive right in. It wasn't a great performance by Oregon. No. Um, they, they, there was a, a chance that Oregon could have been down... 31 to 0 going into halftime. 38 to 0 even. Yeah. Um, but fortunately they are not. But before we get into all that, let's talk a little Royce Freeman, Kirk Herb Street. Let's do it. Okay. So before the game, uh, Royce Freeman was practicing with the Ducks. Uh, everything was looking like he was going to play, at least from an outsider's perspective. And then before the game, uh, a day or two before, he decided not to play, but he was going to stay on the sideline and cheer on his team. Now, I'm going to make a, a hardline stance that I fully support Royce Freeman and his choice to do this. The reason is, he is a fourth-year college running back who has had a very heavy load this season. He has mm-hmm. the opportunity to go play in the NFL and make millions of dollars. Or, if he plays in this game and somehow gets hurt, he can lose millions of dollars in a pointless exhibition game against Boise State in Las Vegas. Now, Kirk Herbstreet, who has been a champion of the Ducks for the last 10 years, right? He's, been a, he's usually pretty, uh, pretty supportive of Oregon and usually speaks highly of them. Well, not today. For some reason, he just kept going over and over and in on Royce Freeman for not playing, for being a distraction on the sideline. It was almost as if ESPN had an agenda, and in that agenda it said, make sure you blast this 21-year-old for making a personal decision, because if the best players don't play in these bowl games, ratings go down and we make less money. Now that might be tinfoil hat of me, and that might be more than was actually done, but it just seemed like it went to a point where it was like, okay, you've said this, this the same comment about five or six times, we get it, you don't agree with it. But he just kept harping. I don't know. What were your thoughts? You watched the game. Yeah, first of all, I'm with you. I have zero problem with Royce playing. I have zero problem with him being on the sideline. Um, I, I've always thought of, of Herbstreit as kind of a pretty level-headed guy. Like, he sees the big picture and everything. Um, he, he's kind of there to kind of hold hold everybody accountable. And he, he, even when it comes to Ohio State, I've always felt like he's been – pretty fair in his assessment of the situation. But all of a sudden he, like you said, just time after time after time, it's like, okay, Kurt, we get it. You don't agree with this decision. And he said it so much that it does appear that ESPN has an agenda out saying, Hey, we got to criticize these so that way we can keep our, the best players in the bowl, bowl games playing. So that way, you know, people are going to turn tune in to watch. 
I, I can't. I tried to find some clips, and I kind of looked around, and I couldn't really find any. But I swear that Herb Street was praising Christian McCaffrey for for not playing last year. So, so why the change in tone? And so, and not only the change in tone, but why do you have to keep bringing it up over and over and over again? Um, and I think, I think what it comes down to is, as you said, there's an agenda by ESPN, and they have such a strong hold on the market that they can't say this and it, it will uh, fall onto some ears and people are like, Oh yeah, you know, that is kind of childish and that is selfish of him. I had a, t- I talked to a coworker the other day that, that said, Oh, well, you're, you're, you're running back quit on the team. And just like, really for the last game of the year and, and in the meaningless game, the best thing Royce d- did for the, for, for himself was he came back his senior year and he, he grew his draft stock back up to where it was at the end of his sophomore season. Doesn't need to show the scouts anything else now. Exactly. And so for, 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 for Herb Street and for anybody else to say that that was a selfish move, I'll be the first. If I was going to, to either gain or lose millions of dollars, absolutely I will be selfish. Oh, a hundred percent, and that's and that's the point we're trying to make here. Is these and in the age of the argument being said that college players should be paid and whatnot, we're not going to get into that. But at this point, this kid is ready to go on to his professional career, and there is one game, a, a meaningless exhibition game, right? And there's one game standing between him and getting drafted. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you not understand his thought process? It's not quitting on the team. He came back for his senior year. He didn't have to do that. He came back and played a full season. Wow. That he yeah. risked, he risked season-ending, career-ending injury every single time he touched the ball, and to say that he was quitting on his team and that he was a distraction, my goodness, that that shows either an agenda or that shows just a misunderstanding or that you know. And honestly, if we want to go into it a little more, you're talking about Kirk Herbstreit, a guy that makes six figures talking about college football, talking about a game mm-hmm. that kids play that aren't paid. And yes, we could argue, you can go into the arguments about what is payment and what's not. But more or less, they aren't paid. He's making all this money off of Royce Freeman, in a sense, whereas Royce is protecting his future earnings by not playing. And so it's like, where's the, the, the hypocrisy there is unreal. So let's say, if you put it in the Kirk Herbstreit terms, right? Let's say Kirk mm-hmm. was going to go start NFL commentating, right? He had one more game to do in college, okay? If he does that yes. game, he risks blowing out his vocal cords and never being able to speak again, okay? <laughs> what do you think he's going to do? Do you think he's going to go into that booth and just give it all, give it his all? Or do you think maybe he's going to not want to do that and maybe hold off because he knows that paycheck's coming on the other side? And that's, that's the annoying part. It's like these kids are, are planning for their future, and they – and this, and Kirk was going so hard in on him, and it just didn't make any sense to me. And so, and I will debate anybody that says they were quitting or that's a poor move. That's that's just foolish. Yeah, and if you're if you're somebody that says, oh, that was selfish of him, he should have played, he quit on his team, blah blah blah. blah just get on YouTube and just Google Marcus Lattimore exactly, injury, exactly. Google Jake Butts injury. Those are two examples right off the top of my head that will disprove anything you're about to say. Yep. Um, you know how much money Jake Butt uh, got from his insurance policy? For those people who say, well, they got insurance. Yeah, but Jake Butt's draft, draft stock tumbled so far, he only got $543,000. Is that a nice paycheck? Absolutely. 
is that what he would have made had he had he not played in a meaningless game? He would have made for four or five times that. And so for anybody to say, well, they have insurance. Well, yeah, but it's not going to be what they make if they're healthy as a rookie in the NFL. Yep. Even look, even look, even even in Oregon's recent past, uh, look at Ifo Ekpre Olamu. Blew out his yeah. knee practicing for the championship game. Now, obviously, that's a national title game, so everybody plays. Mm-hmm. But still, blew out his knee and probably ended his NFL career early or will end it early yeah. because of that injury. Yeah, because he hasn't got a shot since. Right, and he was going. To, he was a first-team All-American. He was going to go high in the draft. Blew out his knee in practice. Okay, so yep. at the end of the day, if you if you can't wrap your mind around that and you're land blasting a 21-year-old for protecting his future, you that you can't speak to anything that that ruins your understanding of the game and how life works that's that's all it is it's a straight it's straight across from me it's, it's black and white yeah i agree all right now that we've gone on a rant let's talk let's talk some boise state <laughs> so boise state has beaten oregon three times in 10 years okay and but they haven't been able to face it seems like a full strength strong oregon team in any of these instances okay so in 2000, yeah. 2008, Boise State knocks out Jeremiah Masoli, right? Dirty late hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Harper comes into the ball game, who's the backup QB. Chris Harper is equal to or worse than Braxton Burmeister was this season, okay? Just to give you a, a heads up. Yeah, he, I, I, would say, I would say worse. I would agree. I was trying game. to give him the benefit of the doubt. So Chris Harper comes in, right? Doesn't play well. Darren Thomas comes in. Lights it up, almost brings Oregon back. So anyway, so Boise State played Oregon's third-string quarterback the first time. Mm-hmm. The second time they played them, the next year, at Boise State, was Chip Kelly's first game as a head coach ever. Okay, first game ever. Awesome. Yep. Um, yep. And the Blount Punch, obviously. Can't forget that. And then in 2017, which we thought was going to be a strong Oregon unit, turns out, Oregon was at maybe 60% capacity for this game, I would say, to be honest with you. They maybe had 60% of the preparation they would usually have for a ball game. And it showed, but I would say they were at 60%. What, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think, you know, even going back to the 2008 game, we got to remember, that was like Jeremiah Masoli's first start, I believe. Uh, you know, he just came in uh, from uh, signing a, a – JC yep. route, yep. but if I remember right, he he came in late in the That's year. Right. That's right. Um, and so really, this is a team that had no quarterback to begin with. I think Justin Roper might have been the only returning guy, <laughs> uh, if I remember right. Yeah. Um, and then they had a safety get ejected for a hit that they had on. Um, uh, what's the tight end name? I can't think of Ed Dixon, Ed Dixon. And this was really before all these ejections really kind of came into play. So you had the, the hit on Masoli, which was a dirty hit. The guy literally crowned the helmet to, the, to Masoli. Then you had an ejection on a deep ball thrown to Dixon. The 2009 game was Chip's first year. And, that was just such a. I believe it was played on a Thursday. Yep, it was like the, first the open Thursday. call was yep. such a weird. No, Thursday or Friday? I think it was a. Thursday. I've been a Friday. Oh, okay. Either way. No, I think it was a Friday because I was coaching football at the time. I remember look checking my phone during the game for for updates. Right, right. So I think it was a Friday. And then this year, as you said, you know, there's just 
it just like there wasn't much to hype, you know, into this game. It was just like, oh, it, it's the it's the bowl game. Oh, it's game day. Today's game day. That's you know, it just came so fast. I think you just put everything together. Um, the coaching change, the uncertainty of what coaches, because everybody knew Pimpleton and Woody were going to be be gone. Right. But yeah, here they are in practice, still still practicing. They're going on the road recruiting. What kind of a sales pitch do they do give to Oregon? Uh, I just want you to know that Oregon's a great school. I love it up there. But really, Florida State has my heart. Like, <laughs> is that the sales pitch that they gave? Um, and so I just think that. It was just such, you know, the 2017 game was to me a lot like the 2009 game, and not because it was a first year coach or anything like that. Weird feeling. Like, I feel like Oregon's the better team, but it was just like they didn't show it on the field. So, can you say they were the better team, I guess? But, but anyway, it was just such a random feel to it that it was just like, ugh. God damn, like, yeah, I'm actually not surprised at this right now. Yeah. So it has such a horrible start on the offense. Yeah, it was a rough start. Um, but again, so to start, so let's go through kind of the list of things Oregon was dealing with in the lead up to this game. Okay. So yep. they lost their head coach, right? There was uncertainty mm-hmm. around which coaches would stay or go. Uh, the early signing period for recruiting, which put more pressure on the coaches to recruit and prep for Boise State. Uh, they were going against a Boise State team that had zero distractions and two full weeks to prepare. Okay. Oregon mm-hmm. uh, was off for a week because of finals. Um, and we're trying to break in a new offensive coordinator. All while he was trying to recruit, while trying to game plan, while trying to watch film. It's like Oregon was prepping, like I said, they're at 60% to what Boise State's 100% was. They literally had five practices with a new head coach to get ready for Boise State. Boise State had two full weeks. And yeah. it showed. It show. And that's what, what shocked It did. And that's what kind of shocked me throughout this whole thing is like, I'd be waiting for practice reports, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, you know, the team just arrived in Vegas. It's like, well, have they not been practicing, in, you know, in Eugene? Like, you know, what's been going on? Everything was always like the coaches on the road, they're, they're recruiting, blah, blah, blah. Oh, hey, we just signed, we just got a new head coach. The interesting thing to me about in, in all of this is for two years in a row, Brian Harson has interviewed for the Oregon job <laughs> and nobody said anything about it. Yep. Like, how is that not a storyline? Yep. Like, how, how, are play, how are media people not going up to Brian saying, hey, this is the second year in a row that you've been rumored to interview with Oregon. Can you can you tell us anything about that? Yeah. But they just like brush it off the side as if well, well, you know, it's just just what happens around here is a coach will go look for another job and if he doesn't get it, then he's still our favorite person. And for nobody to talk to Harson for two years in a row, took an interview with Oregon, and yet nobody said anything is, is dumbfounding to me. It's it's crazy to me. If we're comparing and contrasting that to the Willie Taggart saga and the Oregon media, I, it almost seems like, and I know we've kind of talked a little bit about how the Oregon local media, the Portland and the Eugene journalists, almost try to dig up rumors, innuendo, anything that'll create clicks and headlines and, and, and eyeballs to their site. 
doesn't really matter if it's a good thing to report or if it's actually news or even if they just made it up. It just seems like there's always some drama that an organ reporter is trying to break. And it's just, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting. It also, this is a side point, but something I thought of today. If you watch and follow the Oregon athletic kind of beat reporters on Twitter, and I'm not talking about Rob Mosey, I'm talking about guys at the Register Guard and guys at the Oregonian, they, they've almost forgotten, it seems like, what being a fan is. And they will, yeah. they will mock people on Twitter. They will be sarcastic and snarky with people when they're asking real questions and trying to get answers. And it's like, guys, like, take a second and understand where fans are coming from. Like, they think they're in this, like, ivory tower where they just can't be touched and they know all things and they're doing their, their due diligence as journalists to report things. It's like, no, guys. Remember that there's fans out there that are reading your stuff. Like, answer yeah. your questions. Don't, tro- don't troll fans for being upset about something. You know, the one that, that got me was Tyson Alger had some tweets during the game that it was just kind of like, like, does he even want to be there? Like... I know the, the whole, like a lot of people, like a lot of people at Oregonian wrote, the Vegas Bull, Bull didn't matter to did the boys did whatever the headline. I thought it was ridiculous. Like yeah. clearly, you know, a bowl game matters. Yeah. Um, but he was just almost mocking the fact that Oregon was in the Vegas Bowl and that that they were losing. And it's like he could care less about what was going on. It just he was just having these really. Uh, sarcastic tweets throughout the, the game. And I was just like, like, how can you as a reporter get away with this kind of stuff? Yeah. Yep. It, uh, but yeah, it was weird. It was weird. It was weird. The whole Vegas bowl was weird. The whole thing was weird. It's been a weird two and a half weeks. Yeah. Um, even leading up to the game on my side, it was kind of like, Oh yeah, the Vegas bowl is happening. I guess, I guess we should look into that. I guess we can watch that. It just there was no hype. Yeah. There was no hype. There was hardly any like reporting do- going on. There was hardly any like on the ground. What are the teams doing? Stuff like that. Hardly any of that. Yeah, I can't tell you a single thing that they did in Vegas. Yeah, um, I think in our pregame um, score predictions and even the super specific predictions, I think that we miss. I think we understated the amount of outside turmoil that was surrounding the team. I know I didn't. Mm-hmm. I I didn't think there was going to be this much of a a circus around it, but I guess there was. Um, yeah, I I agree. I think I think the thing I underestimated was Boise State's offense, and maybe even even their defense a little bit. Um, but yeah, just just everything leading up to the to the to the game was about the coaching search. Uh, and I think that did take away from some focus and maybe some execution in the game. And I thought that they would be on fire to play for Cristobal. Like 70 guys just signed a petition. And of those 70 guys, like 65 of them forgot to show up. <laughs> One literally didn't come into the locker room at halftime. I, uh... you know, and it, it it literally gave the. I don't think they did, so don't twist my words here, people. But it literally looked like they spent the entire time in Vegas just partying. Like that's what their performance on the field looked like. And for Troy died, Troy died to be dehydrated 
Like, how are you dehydrated when it's 65 degrees or whatever it was? Well, dehydration comes from a lot of different factors. It's not necessarily. Oh, and, and I get that. But, it, I mean, you can understand how that could be viewed. Yeah, I actually, I, mean, again, I, don't, buy in, I, I don't buy into that. I don't, I don't, oh, I don't either. I don't think that happens, but I'm just saying, like. There? If you don't buy into it, why would you put it out there? I'm just saying, like, that's, that's the appearance that they gave. So, I hear you. Um. Also, don't be a fan that tweets at players that stuff, though. That's weird. That's just weird. Um, yeah, that's, yeah. So, a player, uh, somebody, like when you, some when fan, you... Uh, did tweet at Troy Dye and said that exact thing that you said. Uh, Troy Dye responded with, he was dehydrated and he hadn't drank in a week. So. No, and, I, and, I'm, not, and I'm not saying that they did. I'm not saying they went down there and partied. I'm just saying, like, that's the appearance like that like i could see how people could say oh they must have partied the whole time yeah i felt like they would have came out and played with their their hair on fire playing for the head coach at the 70 people that signed that that uh <clears throat> petition i would have felt like those guys would have came out and, and made sure that the team played with their hair on fire mm-hmm. and it, it didn't yeah it didn't give that impression anyways um, so let's talk defense first. The defense, again, like we've said in the past, the defense played easily well enough to win. Easily. Because if that offense even shows up, uh, Boise State doesn't get three or four extra possessions in the first half, at least. Defense gets a rest. They get to regroup. Uh, they forced three turnovers in that game. Two of them. Uh, led to scores. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, that's that's what you got to do. That's all you can really ask from your defense. They, they scored 14 points. I I, I disagree, though. I, I, I don't think the defense played very good on Saturday. They played well enough. They to gave win. up, they gave up almost 500 yards of offense. The, the secondary got torched. See, I, like I think not, so. You're saying they didn't play well enough to win? No, I don't think they did. They so, gave up 24 first half points. Yeah, but we were saying the same thing about, yet, about Stanford. But yet, that that defense played well enough to win. It's I. To me, here's the difference. The difference is that they sh- Boise State could have been up. They could have scored 35 points in the first half. They could have scored 38 points in the first but half. Did, but they did. The and I did that. twice. But I don't think in the first half that the, the, the defense played very good. There was times when they could have gotten off the field and they didn't. Boise State had 28 first downs. They were 7 of 16 on third down. That's, I just don't think that the defense played very good. I'm not saying that they played terrible. But so, they didn't play great. If that they offense were, doesn't show. Were, Oregon's offense shows up to play. You think Oregon still loses? No, I'm not saying that. So that's why I'm saying the defense played well enough to win. The offense is what let the team down. Yeah, I mean, I think we'll have to agree to disagree. I, I mean, I think they played. They only gave it 14 in the second half. I thought that was much better. But they didn't force any turnovers. They didn't get a stop when they needed to. 
they they got two they got three stops in the red zone where Boise State didn't score. And I get that. And then, and then, no, no, Oregon, and then no, 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 and then Oregon had two turnovers on their side of the field. What's the defense supposed to do when they have to come right back out on the field? This is the exact same thing we were saying all year when, when Herbert was out, but we were saying the defense was playing well enough to win, but they weren't winning because the offense wasn't helping them out. This is the exact same situation, but now they're not playing good enough to win? But when Oregon scored, their, when the offense scored their very first touchdown of the game, what happened the next series for Boise State? They went down and scored. They went right down the field and scored. Had they held them, do you not think maybe the team gets a little bit of momentum and maybe they, they might have a chance to go down and score? If they, let's just play this out. The offense just scores. The defense forces a three and out. Oregon scores again. It's a three-point game. Who wins this game? Tough to say. Because that but offense the defense. But the defense had so many holes. They couldn't stop um, that one receiver if their life depended on it. It didn't matter who, was, who, who they were put on it. The dude had almost 200 yards of uh, receiving. I'm just saying you can't change your argument if it's going to fit your narrative. Because we were saying, we've said this all it. year. But now it's changing. See, Oregon, I don't think it is. Oregon had... Boise State was in the red zone three times, and they came away with zero points. Yep. If Oregon can't build momentum <clears throat> off of two touchdowns scored by the defense, both in the red zone, that's not on the defense. The defense played well enough to win. The defense played well enough to give them a shot to win. How okay, about that? There we go. I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> I'm just saying. Be, yeah, you know, Dennis you Wilson had 221 yards. He had 221 yards. Yeah. And 22 what, yards to catch. But I'm just saying, we've said the same. Okay, we're just going around in circles. But I've said the same thing against Stanford. We had the same exact top. The same exact top against Washington State. Those teams put up huge numbers against them. But for some reason, we were saying the defense was playing well enough to win. Why is it different in this case? Because I don't think there is ever that feeling that the defense can't get a stop. They didn't. Boise State didn't punch at all in the first half. They got stops. They scored touchdowns. On a gimmick play than on just a, a good play by, by Robinson. <laughs> they scored. Oh, shut it. Okay, we're moving on. You're being ridiculous. So the D-line got pushed around, which we'll go into. Because See, this is, I do I'll agree, dis- I I'll disagree with, with this one, too. Well, okay. The D-line got pushed around. <laughs> They, they were able to run uh, – well, actually, they were just able to run the football pretty easily. But Fat Matt got his first pancake of the year, got blocked. Uh, Falu got injured uh, in, the, in the third quarter. Um, Scott Pagano, by the way, a real disappointment this year, uh, thought he was going to be a major player. <laughs> yeah. uh, now, of course, he might have been dealing with injuries, so obviously – um, I don't think he's a disappointment as a person. Injuries happen, things like that happen. But thought he was going to be like a full time starter, big, oh, big yeah. player. No, he he didn't do a whole lot this year. But what are your thoughts? I thought they got no, pushed around, didn't. but you're saying no. So explain that to me. They gave up 100 yard, 107 yards on 47 carries. That's 2.3 yards per carry. I, I don't think the D line got pushed around. Their leading rusher had 71 yards on 23 carries. So you think it was the secondary that was kind of the issue? 
yeah, they gave up uh, 370 yards rece- receiving. So yeah, I would say it was the secondary. So explain this to me then, from a from a football <laughs> standpoint. Um, so we and we saw this against uh, we saw this against Arizona State as well. Um, uh, Nick Pickett <clears throat> and and uh, and Graham and uh, Diamond or Lenore, all all freshmen, right? They definitely picked on the freshmen. Uh, Arian Springs um, didn't really get thrown to a whole lot in this game. So Mm-mm. is it a defensive scheme that players play on only one side of the field? Or why didn't yeah. they try to put Springs on that leading receiver or like against Arizona State when that receiver went off for like 250 yards receiving? Why weren't they having him shadow him across the field, kind of like they do with Richard Sherman? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's just like what Seattle does. Is they just play, they just, you know, you're the, you're the right corner, you're the left corner. That's where you're going to line up. And that's what Oregon does. They just say, hey, this is where you are, this is where you go. And the advantage is clearly to the offense because they can say, oh, this is our best receiver. We're going to put him on this side of the field and we're going to put him in this formation. So that way it goes, he's up against their their lesser defenders and that's what we saw right right thomas graham for as good as he was he got torched he did i agree i guess or got torched it'd be kind of hard for me not to agree with that (laughs) he did get torched (laughs) (laughs) but you know what i'm saying Uh, it's like why didn't they make it and that maybe that's just how they want to play defense but it just seems like yeah i mean yeah hackham richard sherman never guards the best receiver if he's quote unquote the best corner in the NFL, how come he's never on their best receiver? Right. It's just scheme-wise. It's just what they do scheme-wise. And offensively, that makes sense for Boise State. Oh, your best corner's on the right. We're going to line up our best receiver on the left and just huck it deep. And it's wor- it worked. Yeah. It's, honestly, it's kind of worked all season. Uh, and some of these plays that, you know, some of these plays, Grams was in, he was in great position. Yep, there's good throws. But just that receiver was really good. Like, that's, a, that's an NFL receiver. Yep. And we have to remember Graham is a freshman. Uh, all corners, when they're fresh, no, honestly, no matter how good they are, when they're freshmen, they're going to get beat at, at points. Um, I think Graham is going to be fine as a, as a DB. Uh, but yeah, it just it was just interesting that they, you know, they obviously found that weakness, and Oregon didn't have or didn't didn't rotate a safety over as much as maybe we had hoped or something like that. Um, yeah, but yeah, go ahead. Can we talk about Springs' interception though? The one-handed. Like all season long, we've been talking about it. me and even a guy that that um, that I sit next to tailgate with. We always talk about how Springs can never catch in a uh, football. Yeah, like literally, two hands cannot catch a football. Maybe he should have tried the whole one handed thing all season long. <laughs> he was trying to use two hands. You no, know, and he needed one. <laughs> yeah, just use one there, dude. That was one. That was an incredible catch, and two. As soon as that happened, I whipped out my phone and I started texting my buddy who was actually at the game. But he he, he got to me first. He was able to, to type that a little faster than I was. <laughs> and he just, like, pretty much said the same thing. Like, you're telling me, like, that's the interception he, he comes down with? Right. Um, so <laughs> it was good that he kind of went out where he finally got one. Mm-hmm. But just like, where has that been all year? Like, he would lead the NCAA in interceptions. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, uh, he, he was a leader in passes defended, a.k.a. he can't catch the football. <laughs> yeah. um, so the defense contested, played well enough to win with a, uh, 
a standing no vote from other Justin on the show. <laughs> um, but let's, I'm just saying they didn't do enough. Okay, okay, that's fair. Well, we can agree to disagree in the middle. They could have played better. Okay. They could have played. They could have played better. Yes, I'm not arguing that. I'm not arguing that. They could have played better. Um, so, but <laughs> compared to the offense, the defense looked amazing. Oh yeah. <laughs> Now our offense made our special teams look good, which is saying something. We're going to get to that because Oregon special teams are so bad, and we actually let's talk special teams real quick before we get to offense. <clears throat> special teams are terrible. I'm so glad he's leaving. Oh, I am God. so glad. So Raymond Woody, the special teams coach, will follow Coach Willie Slick Taggart to Florida State to have the worst special teams in the ACC. Thank God he's good. Was he a good was he a good recruiter? Was he a good outside 100%. linebacker coach? Yeah. But he was an awful special teams coach. Oh gosh. They all Oregon only had two punts blocked in this game. Every game. It's they're almost getting punts blocked. Awful. So glad he's gonna be leaving. I will not miss him, period. Yeah. Every single time Thanks Oregon punted, which is about forty seven times this game, it felt like a block was coming. Yep. Okay, now that we got that out of our system, back to the offense. Um, okay. <laughs> what the heck was wrong with the offense? The O-line got pushed around. Receivers couldn't get open. There were no holes for the running back. And by the way, Royce Freeman would have had about 20 yards rushing in this game. Okay? It yeah. Been the sa- it would have been the exact same as LeGarrette Blunt in 2009 against Boise State, where there were no holes for him to run through, and he was getting caught from behind. Mm-hmm. So you know what was wrong with Oregon's offensive line? What? His name was Vanderesh. That dude was like legit one of the best linebackers Oregon has seen all season long. You know, I've seen a better linebacker play. He wore What's number, his name. He wore number forty-four. Oh my goodness! You must be talking about Peter Sermon. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. No, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, other uh, Justin here wore number 44 in high school. He was a decent wait. linebacker. <clears throat> <laughs> Moving on. Yep, yep. Like, that, like, he was unblockable. Had 12 tackles. 10 were solo. His tackle on like, uh, um, the running back. I can't remember his name right now. Uh, Tony Brooks James. Thank you. Yeah, Tony Can Brooks I? James. Uh, where he – Tony Brooks James went to the flat, tried to catch a ball. And got absolutely pulverized and fumbled the football. Yeah. Um, speaking of, you know, there's time when when Jake oh, when Jake Hansen was uh, was trying to block him, and he just goes right by, and makes a tackle in the backfield. Yeah, he made Oregon's blocking scheme. He made he he made Jacob Breland look like a true freshman trying to block. <laughs> yes, he did. There was a, a couple times where he either ran right around him, juked him, or just bull rushed him, and Jacob Breland yeah. had no answer for him whatsoever. There's that one point when I was like, huh, I wonder if he'd be interested in a grad transfer spot at Oregon. I think he would do great like, as a grad transfer at Oregon. <laughs> my gosh. Uh, I couldn't believe how good. Well, like, I knew going in the game, like, he was really good. Yeah. But I didn't realize he was that good. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, he he tore Oregon's offense up, let's be honest with you. He, uh, yeah. he made it real difficult to to score or do anything. Um, but real quick before we, I'm just trying to avoid talking about the offense cause it was so bad. Um, let's talk about the chippiness in this game. 
There, yeah. at one point, they were punched. The best throw. thing, the best thing that happened from this game is now Boise State fans can't bring up the Legarrette uh, <laughs> punch anymore. Yep, yep. Uh, middle of the game, that dude just threw a haymaker. Yep, was uh, Mitchell just backhanded some other guy. Yep, and no flags right in front of the refs. No flags. Play on. Both no guys flags. hit each other. We're just gonna keep going. I was like. That is awesome because now they can't bring up the Legarrette Blunt punch anymore. That was just a straight punch, too. Yeah. At least Legarrette Blunt threw a punch with a guy without a helmet on. Yeah. Who was talking smack after the game? You know, we don't know what he said, but I think we can all kind of guess. Yeah. Because Boise State sucks. Anyway, uh, so the refing was not great, but at least it was bad both ways. Yeah, they didn't cl- throw a flag on either of the punches from either of the team. <laughs> and I want to know because you know, um, Cristobal came out and said that before the very first play when we had a call timeout, yep. which is never a good sign. Not great. That he said that the, the officials were standing over the ball, allowing Boise State to slowly get their players onto the field, but the play clock was running. Oh, yeah. It's like for one, why? You know, he he did mention that that he that they said that Oregon was was late getting out of the field, but that happens all the time. Yeah, you watch Stanford come out of a timeout, <laughs> to open a game. They're not coming out until there's like fifteen seconds, ten seconds left on the play clock. They just go and get lined up and snap the ball. Yeah, they never have a special standing over the ball allowing a team to to make subs. So that was a little odd. Yep, it was very strange. Um, okay, so. <laughs> Oregon's offense did not play well the entire game. Let's be honest. Even though they scored 31 points, they really only scored 14 because um, the defense had two scores because the defense played well enough to win. No, the offense, um, Justin Herbert, well, one, Justin Herbert had no time to throw because the offensive line was getting absolutely worked by Boise State's defensive line to the point where it was like, which team is the Power 5 conference and which team is from the Mountain West? Mm-hmm. Um, what was that? Are you uh, getting a little sleepy over there? It was a yawn. Okay. Get some, we need to get some coffee in the, the Justin Show recording studio here real quick. <laughs> the Justin Show tower. Um, so, Coffee is disgusting. Oh, we're going to come back to that. <laughs> so Oregon's offense was bad. Justin Herbert was bad. Even when he had time to throw, he threw two picks. Uh, had two, had mm-hmm. a fumble uh, where he just didn't see the, the, um, the linebacker coming off the off – the, uh, the front side of him. I don't know how you can miss him. He's right in front of you. True, but you actually see that more more times than you don't, where a quarterback could be looking downfield. No, I, no, I get no, and I get it. Like his eyes are downfield. Um, but yeah. So I and I re, I remember uh, when Oregon played Colorado uh, in the 2001 Fiesta Bowl. Uh, Passavento, the quarterback for Colorado, stood back there, and Steve Smith came screaming off the edge and absolutely leveled him. In a hit like that. So those happen. Mm-hmm. Those happen. Um, but Justin Herbert struggled. But let's talk more. I mean, honestly, there's not a whole lot to say besides just the offense was just not very impressive at all. Um, they did run the fly sweep a few times. They didn't fake it every single time, which was nice. Um, but like I texted you during the game, I, I will wait until at least the spring game to really give my judgment on what the offense will look like because – Crystal Ball had five practices to put in a game plan. 
So he's not going to overhaul the offense mm-hmm. in five practices. That would be irresponsible no, and almost and not able to. It's not possible. Um, yeah, you'll you'll never see a coaching staff completely change the offense from the very last game to the to a bowl game when a coach leaves. It'll never happen. Never just happen. for the simple fact there's not enough time. Yep. Yep. Um, and, and I so, think, and I yeah, think, well, like you know, me and you had talked about this Saturday. There needs to be a complete overhaul in this offense. Yeah, I think it'd be it'd be kind of nice if, if uh, Arroyo could bring some of what he he learned at Oklahoma State with him. Yeah, you know, bring that that passing game to this running game, and, you know, and, and meld those two. Um, and so uh, I don't know, like. Literally, I cannot stand this lethal simplicity offense. I think it's trash, and I think it's going to get exposed in the ACC. I mean, it, honestly, it kind of got exposed in the Pac-12. If he didn't have, and Justin Herbert didn't show it in this yeah. game, but honestly, Herbert's a you know a first-team All Pac-12 quarterback. When he didn't have a great quarterback, it was pretty terrible. Yeah, I, I'm, I'll say this right now: I'd be surprised if Florida State scores against Clemson next year. Is that their first game of the season? I don't know. Oh, oh just in probably general. not. It's okay. a league game. Yeah. Well. Oh, yeah. yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in general, when, when because Clemson's a good defense. Yep. Do so I'm just. I like it. I like where we'll, we'll come back to that next year. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't. I definitely don't subscribe to the the people that are like, oh, the crystal ball hire was a terrible hire. I don't think you can say that yet. It's one game. He had no. five practices, and there was a ton surrounding the team right now. Um, you can't. It would have been great to get a win, but it's very understandable that they didn't. Yeah. Um, but again, I would have liked to see a little more wide receiver wise. I would expect next year uh, Dylan Mitchell to be the go-to wide receiver. I would expect uh, yep. Brennan Schooler to actually be a, a go a nice uh, possession receiver, long ball, even a long ball threat actually, because he's got good size. Next year, I mean, honestly, he's he practiced in fall camp as a receiver, and that was it. Otherwise, he'd been at safety. So give him a whole year of uh, development, yeah. and I think he'll be a serviceable wide receiver. He's got okay hands, okay hands. I said not great hands. Um, <laughs> he's had a yeah. No, I think you know to talk about the receivers and who made an outstanding catch against Oregon State, um, Dylan Mitchell. Um, two huge games back to back. Yep. Uh, Johnny Johnson had a pretty good freshman season. Um, so there, there's talent there. Uh, it's just a matter of how we use them. The thing that I probably pointed in the offense is the, the fact that we didn't use our running backs out of the backfield enough. Right. Our screen game was atrocious. Um, and so it's just it'll be nice to see are running backs being used out of the backfield. Yep. I you know, and I hope that that's something that, that Arroyo brings. And I hope that that's something that, you know, if you can get a good screen game, it's hard for teams to blitz because when they do and you hit them with that screen and you saw it all the time when Chip was the coach. Yep. All the time. Like he had a natural when teams are going to bring pressure and he could just throw a little screen and they were so well designed that they went for 20, 30 yards. Yep. Yep. I you know, and that just puts pressure on the defense. Um, but yeah, Dylan Mitchell, I think in the last couple of games, he really showed how good he is. Yeah. No, very true. Um, any other thoughts on the offense in this game? There wasn't a whole lot of it, but, uh, any other, 
comments about him? I think this offense will go down in the same category as the defense, and I can't think of the year. Um, I can't even think of the coordinator who, who did it. But I know that he had the defensive line line up a yard off the ball because it was supposed to be some new. <laughs> I do remember that. I remember defense. that. Yeah, that was bad. And it just turned out to just to be a train wreck. This offense and that defense, they're in the same category to me. Get rid of this offense. Good riddance. Goodbye. Have fun um, in ACC land. And I'm so glad that we don't have to deal with this offense anymore. You know, you just got to do something. That's all. <laughs> you got to do something. <laughs> okay. Um, so, big news, though, out of Oregon. Um, according to sources, quote-unquote, from the local Oregon media, Jim Levitt was going to be following Willie Taggart to Florida State. They were for sure on it, Justin. Sources were telling them. Sources close to yeah. the program. What? Wasn't that Fentress? That was, that was everybody. That was Fentress. That was Matt Prem. That was Andrew Nemec. That was... Tyson Alger, that was Andrew Greif. Everybody was saying it. So either there's one guy in the athletic department that's feeding these guys all this information, or they don't have sources and they were just copying what everybody was saying, and that's what I actually believe. Sorry. Mm -hmm. I don't like the media. You can't trust journos, Justin. You can't trust them. No. You know, a funny little story is I was out uh, Sunday when the news came down. That Tiger or that Levitt was staying. Yeah, I was actually in my shop uh, working on a couple of projects, and a buddy sent me a text and pretty much said that that he, the Levitt's staying. So I get on Twitter, and sure enough, it's right there. So I come running in the house, jumping up and down, hooping and hollering. My sister thinks I was crazy. She's crazy, but uh, I was I was pretty excited. Yeah, no, that was it was huge. It's huge. So Oregon is play is paying Jim Levitt to stay. Uh, he, he's getting paid one point seven million dollars a year, which is about what four hundred thousand dollars less than Mario Cristobal. Yeah. So more or less, Oregon is paying two head coaches, but they're also paying less for Levitt and Cristobal than Florida State is paying just for Willie Taggart. So Oregon wins again. Ha. Yeah, and I think, and I think a lot of this money comes from one. Uh, Cristobal having a small contract. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but also the the buyout from Taggart leaving. I think Florida State's kind of pitching in on that too. Might as well. Um, and I and I and I, I've been. I'm on record saying it. I've said it to you a hundred times. Levitt is worth every penny that you pay him. And I saw something on Twitter the other day, and it was just kind of a rundown of you know, the, like for instance, the total defense went from 126 to 46. Incredible. In one With year, the same players more or less. The third down defense went from 122nd to 11th. Wow. Sacks went from 69th to third. Interceptions, 81st to a tie at 23. Well, maybe if Arian Springs could catch Tackles, the ball. Yeah, we'd be number one, baby. <laughs> Tackles for loss, 102nd to 17th. So those wow. are just some numbers to justify Taggart staying. Yeah. Or not Taggart, but, but Levitt staying. Yeah, Levitt staying, yep. Like, he's worth every penny that Oregon was willing to throw out of and I hope Taggart took some notes on how Levitt handled all of this, especially in the social media with the media. Um, that is how you, you handle these situations. Yep. No, it's very true. Uh, I'm glad he stayed. He, he's an exciting guy. 
Um, it looks like he really connects with the players and more than just the defense. You saw in the Boise State game him consoling and trying to rally Justin Herbert after a, a fumble. Yeah. And I thought that was really cool. It kind of threw me off for a second. But I, and the more I thought about the more like, wow, you know, that's great that you have the defensive coordinator, the number two guy on the team, to be honest with you, kind of even 1B on the team uh, next to Crystal Ball, mm-hmm. talking to an offensive player and really connecting with him as a coach, just as a coach, not as, you know, this big defensive coordinator, but just as a coach comes over and he sees a player that's down. And that is the mark of a, of a good coach. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that guy has such a passion for Oregon that I, I truly think that this is where he wants to be right now. I agree. And, he, and I, and I hope he stays until he gets his head coaching job. See, I hope this is what I hope. I hope that crystal ball, gets this office around, and Levitt stays until the Kansas State job opens up. I think that would be the best move for Levitt. I do too. And, I, and I, you know, he, he said all along that that's what he wants to do. Yep. That that happens, that's fine. Like, I'm okay with that. Yeah. And that, that's but to the have, same. But, ha, but to have him take a lateral job somewhere else would be, like Willie be crazy to me. Yeah. Well, that would be like Willie Taggart saying that Florida State is his dream job. That's fine with that being his dream job, right? I don't think yep. people have an issue with him taking his dream job. It's how he handled it is what yeah. people have an issue with. Everybody knows that Jim Lovett's dream job is coaching at Kansas State, which I don't know why, but it's coaching at Kansas State. Um, and so if he gets the opportunity, he's going to take it, and that's understandable. Um, other coaches that are for sure staying – uh, Coach Joe Salavea, which is huge. It keeps that Polynesian pipeline going. The D-line is going to get better. They're going to get bigger. Um, seems like a, a solid team guy, a real family-first kind of guy as the, the Polynesian kind of family culture. Um, it's always good to have those guys on the team. Why don't you tell me a story about at an Oregon football camp about you running with some Samoans? <laughs> They're nuts. I'm telling you right now. They would walk like – so you kind of set the scene like we'd stay in the dorms and then you'd have two practices and pads that you'd have to walk over to Austin State and either be in the stadium or in the Mishawski Center or on the practice fields. So this was in the early 2000s. And so you, you know, here's, you know, I don't know, two, three, four hundred high schoolers all in pads walking across the footbridge headed to, to Austin Stadium. And the Samoans, they would leave probably an hour before because it takes them that long to make that just motion on walk. over there. <laughs> I mean, and they laugh and giggle the whole time, and they barely move, just one baby step at a time. <laughs> and everybody that passes them, they're saying hi. They're just real friendly. Well, we got to this. I was. Um, with the outside linebackers, and there was this one kid who was particularly annoying because he thought he was really good, and he probably weighed a buck fifty, and he must have done something to really offend or upset this Samoan. I'm saying Samoan because they were from America, Samoa. Right, you know, right. I mean, they literally, as a whole, came with the whole team. Um, and so anyway, and he goes, "Hey, brother." Do you, you mind if I uh, if I hop a frame? Because I hate to cut, but I just don't like that guy. I was like, oh yeah, sure. So I'm <laughs> and I was a little bummed because I because I was really wanting to hit him too. Like it got to that point of like, all right, I'm just gonna drill this guy and have him shut up. But this Samoan just kind of went, and we're supposed to only go in thud, you know, three quarter speed, and he probably went 
a quarter speed. And right as he got there, he just flipped a switch and about killed the guy. <laughs> like legit, like I was afraid for this guy's life at that point. And one of the coaches was like, uh, you're supposed to be in thud. And he just looked at him and goes, sorry, coach. And he went to the back of the line. <laughs> and when I got back to the back of the line, I said, dude, that was intense. And all he did was he just apologized for cutting in front of me. Like, that's all, like he just was so upset that he cut in front of me that he just apologized. I'm like, no, 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 no. Let's just talk about the hit. <laughs> let's, let's just talk about that. Definitely, definitely. So, uh, yeah. They're pretty cool. And then they, you know, they did a huge dance, a huge dance ceremony. Uh, they're at the awards night thingy that they had. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Cool experience and fun little story. But yeah, don't make them mad. They're super friendly, but don't make them mad. Yeah. What you're saying. So life less than anybody out there. If you're ever in a spot where you're, you're facing some Samoans and he asks for your, your chair, <laughs> just stand up and give it to him. There like, don't ask why. Just say, oh, yeah, sure, here you go. Here's 20 bucks on top of it. Have a nice day. <laughs> we'll save you some heartache, I promise. There you go. Um, and then Coach Arroyo will, will now be the offensive coordinator. Uh, he's just got a three-year deal. And then Coach Hayward uh, will also stay. Uh, uh, we know for sure being gone – Coach Willie Snake Taggart, uh, Raymond Woody follows him. The strength and conditioning coach, who had mixed reviews to begin the season, uh, and then now just recently today, Dante Pimpleton uh, will also follow him to coach running backs, which is also interesting because Taggart has just hired also uh, right before this another running back coach. So we'll see how that kind of shakes out. And then the wild card yeah. is Coach Johnson. And I, I read that. Because he actually hired him from Warren State, um, but I believe he that guy's coaching tight ends. Oh, okay, gotcha. There you go. Um, and then yeah, the the wild card will be Coach Johnson. Um, it'll be an interesting staff. It sounds like as of tonight, Oregon is targeting uh, Coach White from UCLA, um, who I would say is an upgrade at a, a linebacker coach and an equal recruiter to Woody. And so I don't think Oregon loses out really there if they can pull in Coach White. Is that is that something official, or is that just what the players want? That was, as I was getting on ready to do the show, it was gaining steam, and Coach White was retweeting pro-Oregon things. And so um, I think that's about as close to official as you can get without an actual press release yet. Okay. I was just curious. Yeah. And I think that Coach Clark will stay the quarterback's coach. Um he kinda came with Levin. I think he'll he'll stay and kinda stay there. It is interesting, besides the guys that have stayed with Taggart through all this process of him moving from South Florida, there hasn't been a whole lot of loyalty to Taggart with Levitt, Salavea, Royal, Hayward, Johnson, all those guys. Obviously he only brought him in for one year, but it's not like it's interesting that he didn't just you know, instantly gain their loyalty. You know, it's almost like they mm-hmm. kind of saw him for what he is, I guess. Yeah. Maybe, maybe even feeling like he used them as a stepping stone as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So now, um, <laughs> go ahead. Well, I was just saying now we have a nice long off season to sit on this Las Vegas bowl loss. Yeah. Um, or yeah, yeah, I- basketball. Oh, you got, we want to finish with football. I was just going to say um, that this coaching staff, like it is still a special 
coaching staff. Like it is, the talent is, is, is really here to win 10, 11 games next year. Um, so it's really going to be interesting to see, like, how do we fill those holes? Are we actually going to get a tight ends coach this year? Because it was a rodeo doing quarterbacks and tight ends. Right. You know, and I think, you know, that was his official title, but I'm sure there was a, a GA that kind of helped with the tight ends. And I believe he'll probably find a role with Taggart in, um, in Tallahassee as well. Uh, but it's just going to be interesting to see the hires that that we do make and, and, and really see what, what happens. And I think, you know, the spring game will be pretty, a pretty interesting one. Never a dull moment. No. And, you know, and the signing day, the early signing day is tomorrow. And I think, I know Oregon just lost another commit tonight, a couple commits tonight. Yep. Um, and one of them was that Lamar, Malcolm Lamar, Malcolm Lamar or something like that, who I, who I was really hoping w- would stay committed. Um, but who knows what will happen between now and, and February. But Oh, definitely. And those guys, and honestly, the last two guys that just decommitted were uh, Woody, Coach Woody tar- uh, connections. Yes. And so it's not surprising yeah. that they would decommit. Um, Oregon will be yeah. fine recruiting-wise. They'll be fine. It's going to... Yeah, and, and if you're somebody that, that follows the recruiting trail pretty heavily, all I got to say is buckle up because it's going <laughs> to be a fun ride. It's going to be wild. It's going to be wild. Uh, yeah. <laughs> also, you know, pour a stiff drink if you live and die by recruiting news because that is a wild ride. Well, don't tweet at recruits when they decommit. Yeah, it's weird. They're, like, they're 17, 18 weird. years old. Don't be, don't be talking to those kids. It's weird. It's crazy. I mean, you can't even pick out a candy bar at the Seven Eleven. You want these guys to pick out a college for the next four or five years? Yeah, yeah. How dare they really want to go where a coach that they've connected with goes? Crazy. Yeah. Um, so, real quick, basketball. Oregon beat Fresno State. Had a nice little comeback win. Kenny Wooten. Let's talk a little Kenny Wooten. Wooten. Yeah. Kenny um, Wooten's going to score. Yeah, I think that should be a thing. Um, he is starting to equal Jordan Bell output as a freshman equal to Jordan Bell's freshman year output is what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah. he, he's an exciting player. Uh, he can jump out of the gym. He had six blocks against Fresno State. The team, when they can shoot, they'll be fine. They'll, they'll hold their own in the Pac-12. It's when they go cold and they need a go-to score is when they struggle. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I haven't been all that impressed with Elijah Brown, but the last couple of games he's, he's been playing better. Uh, Troy Brown has kind of found his his role and has embraced it. Um, I'd like to see them get the ball to Kyle McIntosh at the free throw line a little bit and let him kind of um, uh, you know go from there. Yeah. And you know, there's you know rumors are that um, Wooten's going to get the start tomorrow, which is only a matter of time. You know, me and uh, the guy that um, I go to games with. Me and him talk all the time. Like he's farther along than Jordan Bell was as a freshman, um, offensively and defensively. And then they said today that, um, in fact, it was Elijah Brown that had the quote. They said they, they yeah, he's literally seen him touch the top of a backboard. It's not bad. So that's incredible <laughs> if that actually happened. Yep. That uh, yeah, that's so, incredible <laughs> actually. You know, and so you know, this team again is so young. There's going to be so many rough patches and so many spots in the game that's going to make you pull your hair out. But at the same time, like they're going to grow a lot and, and they're going to be better. Um, and I do think that they make um, the NCAA playoffs, bar any major 
you know, downturn. I think, yeah, I agree. I think they'll make the tournament. Um, they might go out on the first weekend, but I think they'll make the tournament. Uh, that's all I have. We'll come back. Yeah. We'll do a maybe in a week or two. We'll do a full on basketball only podcast and really kind of break down the season because Pac twelve play starts uh, the week after next, and mm-hmm. so uh, we could do a we, we might do a a wrap up of the preseason and kind of preview uh, Pac twelve play coming up. Uh, let us know. Tweet at us. Comment at us. Uh, let us know what you guys want to hear. If you guys have any questions, anything you want us to discuss, let us know. We'd glad, be glad to talk about it. Follow us at the Justin Show seventeen on Twitter. Justin, final words, send us out. You know, this has been a lot of fun. Um, I've had a lot of fun doing this. And this is something that, that, you know, me and Justin have talked about for a few years. And then at the beginning of the season, he's just like, hey, let's do a podcast. And I literally said, yeah, let's do it. And I hung up. I said, yeah, I don't know if I actually want to do that. Uh, in fact, I might have told my sister or some friends or maybe even my girlfriend Ugh. that – that that Justin just asked me to do the podcast, and I said, "Yeah, but I doubt anything actually happened." But it did. Like, like later that week, he sent me say, "Hey, this is what we're gonna do. This is what my thought is." Blah blah blah, and we just ran with it. And these are two guys who have never done this. And have we gotten better as we go? I don't know. Maybe, maybe um, not. We probably got worse. <laughs> yeah, probably. But it, but it was. It's been fun, and I really look forward to doing it again next year. Um. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, it, was, it all stems from just having a place to go that we can talk about Oregon football and that, that people can actually listen to two knuckleheads talk Oregon football. Two knuckleheads so I appreciate <laughs> appreciate everybody that listened, that, that, that commented, that, that shared and tweeted and um, liked and left reviews. Um, you're our heartbeat. You're our heartbeat. Yeah, just two guys talking football. No connections, no, no uh, disregard for human life, as uh, Marv Albert once said. No, uh, it's been fun. I agree. Uh, we've enjoyed it. We'll keep it. We we'll keep moving on. As long as you guys are listening, we'll keep going. Yep. Alrighty. One last time. Go Ducks. Go Ducks.